The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 13th chapter. Jesus said, In those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he suddenly comes. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated if you are standing. Well, as I mentioned in my uh, welcome this morning, this is the first Sunday of Advent, which means it's the beginning of the church year. Um, and as we start this new church year, I want to draw your attention to a community which may sound familiar. It's a community that's divided and in conflict. People in the community are following different leaders. People are suing one another in the courts. There is unequal treatment of people based on their perceived cultural status. Uh, there are rumors of moral failures. Uh, the community is fighting with itself, and the factions are becoming more and more contentious. Now, while that may sound all too contemporary, the community I'm describing is actually the ancient community, the biblical community of the church in Corinth, the community that Paul was writing to in that first reading we heard read today. And when you hear about the problems facing that community, you become aware that the people who lived in biblical times were not as distant or different from us as we often tend to think. The pages of the Bible are filled with real people, with real and often very familiar challenges and problems. Now, to give just a bit of context, Corinth was, and for that matter still is, located on a four-mile-wide strip of land that connects mainland Greece to a large peninsula in the south of Greece that juts out into the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I know you did not come here today for a geography lesson, but I mention that because Corinth's location was significant. It meant that Corinth uh, controlled trade both by land and by sea. There was an important trade route that passed by the city on land, and the city also controlled two ports, uh, very important ports, on each side of that narrow strip of land. 
Because of all of that trade, the city was very wealthy and also had the kinds of problems that accompany port cities with lots of money and transient populations made up of many people who are far from home. Paul had established a church there in Corinth a few years before writing this letter and then had begun to hear from a number of sources about the difficulties now facing the young community of believers, how, as I mentioned, the community was troubled by infighting, by dissension, by the drawing of lines between different factions within that young church. Now, Paul, as the founder of this community, would have been deeply troubled by this news, and he would have wanted to bring the community back together to restore its unity, to remind them of the high and holy calling God had in mind for them, which was in danger because of all the infighting happening there. Which brings us to that reading we heard a bit earlier in the service. That reading is the start of the letter that Paul wrote, the beginning. It sets the whole tone up in the same way that today, the first Sunday of the church year, sets up the rest of the year to come. And what does Paul focus his attention on in that opening? Where does he direct the attention of his listeners? What does he lift up? I want you to pause for a moment and think about those questions. What does Paul lift up? Where does he place his focus? While I offer a brief aside, I'm reminded here of the famous story of the children's sermon. And the pastor says to the young children, uh, some information, he describes uh, something with a bushy tail that runs around in the trees and in yards in the suburbs and collects nuts. And he says to the children, what does that sound like? And the precocious young girl in the front says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm guessing the right answer is Jesus. And uh, I'm not sure that the girl, she says that because she thinks that the answer to every question in the church is Jesus. I'm not sure that's absolutely right, uh, that the answer to everything here in the church is Jesus. But in this case, the answer to that question that I asked you to think about, where does Paul focus the attention of his friends in Corinth at the start of this letter, is indeed Jesus. Out of about 125 words in verses 3 through 9, about every fifth word refers to either God or to Jesus. And Jesus appears in each and every verse of the reading, every single verse. So Paul begins his response to the deeply troubled community, the deeply troubled church at Corinth, not by immediately addressing the challenges he's heard about, not by listing the difficulties besetting the community, not by telling his listeners how to resolve them. Instead, he begins by pointing their attention to the God who loves them the God who has created them, the God who has forgiven them, the God who has freed them, the God who has gifted them with both spiritual and material gifts, not for their own sakes, but for the sake of the world. As he begins his letter, Paul is reminding his listeners that it all starts with God. God has drawn them together as a community. God has blessed them. God has given them everything they are and everything they have. He's reminding them that all of life, all of it, is a gift, and that this gift is meant to be shared joyfully rather than boasted about or fought over. Focus your attention on Jesus, Paul is saying, and maybe, 
the other issues you're struggling with will diminish. Focus your attention on Jesus and maybe you'll discover the true and deep unity that connects you. Focus your attention on Jesus and perhaps you will discover that God has important plans for you in this world that God loves. 2,000 years later, this is still very good advice. It is still, as they say, relevant. And we still need to hear it. God's people still find ourselves distracted and disoriented, paying attention to the wrong things, bowing down in the wrong directions and forgetting that everything we have is a gift of God. And 2,000 years later, we are still being invited, as Paul invited the people of Corinth, to give thanks to the only one who deserves our worship and praise, namely Jesus. So on this first Sunday of the church year, I'm making a simple and maybe even an obvious point, and no, it is not about squirrels. The point is that here, in this place, we are called to make Jesus central. Here in this place, we are called to focus our attention once again for the next year on Jesus. That here in this place, we are called to follow him and respond to his call in our lives. And it turns out that one of the symbols of this time of year helps us to do that. The Advent wreath, which we lit earlier in the service, is typically made up of four candles with a fifth candle in the center. The four candles are traditionally associated with the gifts God brings at this time of year, hope and love and joy and peace. And the fifth candle, the white candle at the center, is called the Christ candle. It is a visual reminder of what I am saying, that Jesus is at the center of everything we are and everything we do. As we begin lighting our Advent candles this week, may these candles once again remind us to focus our attention on this light, the light of Jesus. And by focusing our attention on this light, by once again making it central in our lives, may we also let God use us to reflect that same light back out to a hurting and dark world, to bring it God's gifts of hope and love and joy and peace. Amen.